Welcome back to the B2B Podcast Masterclass, the show that helps you launch and grow a successful business podcast. Today, I speak with Laura Barnes, PR and communications lead at Wipro. I wanted to speak with Laura because of her previous role at Mimecast, a leading cybersecurity company, where she launched a very successful podcast called Fishy Business with zero budget, by the way. And she made it one of the most downloaded shows in the business section on Apple Podcasts. It's become really popular with clients and employees alike and is an excellent example of how to produce a great B2B podcast. Her goal at the beginning was just to make it interesting, right? Not just interesting for people in cybersecurity or interesting for their employees, but interesting for anyone that chose to listen. So much so that the goal was just get people to share it. So she said, make your podcast so interesting that people will share it with their friends, their family members, and people outside their industry because they find it genuinely interesting. There are not many business podcasts that that manage to reach that bar, especially with zero budget. So I wanted to get her on the show to ask her some really, you know, fundamental questions. What's her approach to content creation in audio form? Uh, why and how did she choose to go with co-hosts? Uh, the time pressures and, and legal considerations dealing with a company the size of Mimecast. Uh, how to get your podcast to pass the driveway test, i.e. get people to listen to the end. This is just an absolute masterclass on not just making another business podcast, but actually making an interesting, impactful and shareable piece of content for everyone attached to your business. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Laura, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to this chat. Thank you. I'm delighted. Let's talk a little bit about Fishy Business. I don't want to make this podcast all about Fishy Business, but it was the podcast that you produced while you were at Mimecast. It was a fantastic yes. and still is a fantastic podcast. It's it's still running to this day. I've been binging episodes recently <laughs> in, so you're preparation. The one. <laughs> <laughs> in preparation for this. The Mo Gaudat one is oh. fascinating. Oh. He's such an amazing guy. Um, there was another gentleman who was the head of UK infrastructure and security. I'm blanking on his Kieran name Martin. now. Oh, yes, Kieran Martin. He oh. was super fascinating. He's and amazing. Bob Wigley as well. Yeah. He was also a great chairman of UK finance. Maybe for the listeners tuning in, talk us through what was your intention when you first started the podcast? Why did you launch it for Mimecast? What was the business outcome that you were trying to achieve? Was it not as strategic as that? Just talk us through sort of how it all began. So first first of all, thank you for, for listening. Even though it's not my baby podcast anymore, I'm delighted that people like it. So the initial aim was really to get good and gated content out there. So, you know, there's always this tension in marketing. Um, do we get the content? Do we not? It's really good. We need to get the leads, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a sort of debate internally about what we should do. And I was chatting to a colleague one day. It was just at the beginning of the pandemic. So we were all working remotely. And as if things weren't stressful enough, I decided let's do a podcast because that's ungated. And, and I'm a PR. I know a good story. There's so many interesting people that we could talk to. Let's do it. And then a, an important but underrated thing happened. I went to our head of the, well, Mimecast's former sort of global head of marketing, who's my unofficial mentor. I think he hates that he's my unofficial mentor because I'm a bit exhausting. But I said to him, can I do it? Can I do a podcast? And he said, yeah, I trust you. Off you go. I'm not giving you any money, but off you go. And that, I think, is 
important to highlight because it's very rare in, in companies that a big boss goes, I like you, I trust you, off you go. Show me a slide once you've figured out the concept, but I trust you to get this going. There's no legal approval. There's no speak to that person. Do, like, I trust you. You can do it. I know you do good work. Off you go. So that was really that moment that I took because it empowered me to go and do what I do best, which is go and find good stories mm-hmm. with interesting people. So it started off, we we had a little bit of discussions. I had a, a really great PR agency called um, Harvard. They called Harvard PR who was doing the PR, you know, working with me at the PR at the time. And I just said to them, help me figure out a little bit of a concept. I think that's another important thing in corporate podcast is really figuring out your your brand and, and sort of what you want from it. We can talk probably about more about that later. But once we figured it out, we did six test episodes. I had a little bit of help with the editing and then I just ran with it. Um, I just I just took to it like um, a PR to water to water to mix metaphors and I just went with it I just um contacted people and I knew the I knew the way to make it good and interesting and successful was to broaden it out as much as possible there was no way I was going to talk to my colleagues about zero trust I just wasn't going to do that because nobody wants to talk about colleague a speaking to colleague b even their own colleagues don't find that interesting Hmm. so my aim was always to create good and gated broad content that I could send to my friends and say, you want to listen to this because it's interesting. Hmm. What were you hoping to achieve? Was there a particular outcome that you had decided that you wanted to achieve at the outset? What did you think it could do for the business? Or Hmm. had you not thought that through? Well, I wanted brand awareness. So the aim is, you know, in any, I guess, content piece is to increase brand awareness. Um, and really to get conversations going around, in this case, the topic of cybersecurity, so any topic. So my aim was create good content, raise brand awareness. And then as the podcast grew, that's when I looked to integrate it into marketing campaign to bring in that lead generation piece. But initially it was, let's make it the best it can be and the most interesting it can be. And then that also means look at the format, look at the length, don't limit yourself to guests, you know, sort of really think about that at the beginning so that you've got a good framework to then build from. Content and storytelling. It's quite clear from listening to your episodes that a lot of work has gone in to (laughs) the prep Mm -hmm. and the research and the reading of books and the background. You it's, it's, it's very evident um, from both the, the hosts of the show, they've done their prep They've obviously, there's always been a clever person behind the scenes that has helped them, that has facilitated that as well. But it takes a lot of time. I think people underestimate, especially if you want to get an author on who is an influencer in your space and that has a large following, you need to make sure that the content is good. And to do that, you have to put in the time to do the research, read their book and take, you know, take excerpts and um, underline things and, and make sure that you go back to things. How much time on average do you spend researching, putting the content together for a typical guest? So let me just jump off the back of that. It took over my life (laughs) in in the best way. I was reading books all the time. I was reading articles all the time. I was taking notes. I was listening to their podcasts. I was, I was, because 
I prepared the brief and I'm very happy that you said the co-hosts were prepared because a lot of the time can I let into secret? They were not, but the questions made them look like they were. So that is great. So as a producer, that is your creative producer, that's your job. You are, because the co-hosts, they, they're very good at their presenting jobs, but that's it. Well, I'm sure they did some research sometimes, but a lot of the time you could tell they hadn't read the book unless I'd said, on page 39, you said this, <laughs> right? Um, which is fine. It's a, what a lot of interviews do. They don't have time. So that is another thing. You want to get a good conversation, you have to research. There is Nobody's going to listen to an interview where you speak to an author and go, so why did you write the book? Because they've heard that. But the question of, that was a really interesting theme throughout your book of X, Y, and Z. Tell us about that. So researching, I would say, to answer your question, per episode, on average, about five to six hours of wow. prep. Because you got to read a book first, mm. then you got to take notes, and you got to watch what they've done. You have to see what they like to talk about, what they don't like to talk about, and then mix it with what I want to talk about, mm. um, or what you know. You got to keep it vaguely related to the company sure. you work for. So, how do you mesh that? And then, how do you find the interest? So, the more you research, you do the more interesting you can you can be. So, for example, if I use Jenny Radcliffe as an example, she's great. You should have her on, by the way. She's fantastic. She was she, had, she was victim of a kidnap attempt as a child. I would not have known that had I not listened to some of her podcasts or read her book, right? And so then that question would not have happened. That sort of tell us about that would not happen. And then that brings a whole different element of understanding how she is as a person to become a people hacker, which effectively leverages social engineering techniques to get into the Tower of London, for example. That's her job. She gets into facilities you're not supposed to be able to break into. But the psychological element of her being kidnapped as a child in Liverpool brings an element out that anybody who's not read her book, who's just like, yeah, I'll have her on, I'll ask her 15 questions and off we go, you wouldn't have got. That's the insight. There is a super important point here to make about make sure that the guest is fired up and they bring their A game. And that's how you're going to get the best content. And the only way the guest is going to bring their A game is if you excite them, if you give them something to be energized about. And if you show interest in them, if they know that genuinely you have read their book, because you can't fake that. And then you have a conversation. My, my only aim whenever I spoke to an author was, for him, for them, hey, him, her to say, oh, that was an interesting thing. I'd never thought of that. So for example, Jeff White, who's a great journalist and has written several books on cybersecurity. The latest book he wrote was on a big uh, heist called The Lazarus Heist, which is a, a, a North Korean hacking group. And they tried to steal a lot of money from the Bank of Bangladesh. And I was talking about how, interestingly, a human allowed the hack to happen, but actually a human also prevented most of the money from going away. So isn't that a nice dichotomy of sort of, it was our fault, but then we sort of stopped it. He was like, oh, that's a really good point. I'd never thought of that. Mm. And I was like, good. So now he knows I read it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not just asking him the same random questions. The, that everybody the, else would the, ask. the last 20 podcasters have asked them as well. It's yeah. like, I roll super boring. I was at an event yesterday. And there was an influencer there and she, um, she's got a ridiculous number of fo followers on Instagram, Twitter, and she's absolutely huge. And we were talking about podcasting and she says, I'm thinking about doing a podcast myself, but 
to be honest, I'm so bored by going on other people's podcasts and they just trot out mm. the same questions and they ask me the same things over and over again. She says, I'm tired of people telling, asking me to tell my story. Like I, there's so much more to me than yeah. my, how I started and how I began and, and my early journey. She can tell that these interviews have done no prep. They've done no research. They've turned up with five minutes notice. They've managed to get her on as a guest. And they're trotting out the same questions and she's just going through the motions and it makes it dull for her. It's dull for the interviewer and it's dull for the audience that are listening as well. Um, I, I think it's something that is so important. Talk to me about the choice of co-hosts. When you're listening to co-hosts who know each other and there's a rapport and there's a relationship there, you almost feel as though you're invited in to hear, overhear a conversation between friends. I think it, it sets the tone in a really interesting way that can't really be set if there's just an individual host. Talk to me about the choice of co-hosts as, as, as opposed to just one host. Well, so it was a very intentional decision from the beginning that I didn't want to be the host. I'm a PR. I'm not the story. I created it. I produced it. And sometimes I stepped in if people were off, et cetera. So that's another plan B to the hosts. That's always, you're going to have plan Bs. That should be the podcast name, Plan B, Plan, plan C, because <laughs> you always need one. Right. Um, so co-hosts, I thought exactly like you were saying, it's nice to have people who have good chemistry because that's you, you feel like you're dropping in on a conversation with colleagues around the coffee machine, et cetera. That's what we relate to. Don't forget we're in the pandemic. So people were in dire need of a bit of camaraderie and banter because we didn't have any because we were all sat behind our laptops at home. And secretly, I auditioned loads of colleagues uh, not that they knew that that's what I was doing to see who had a good. So, you know, in the course of business, you'd invite people to a call and then I'd be like, oh, they're quite funny. Um, mm. See, see if they like this other person. And then I chose two co-hosts that represented the brand. So one was The Heart, which was um, our co-host Alice, who's very empathetic and asks a lot of feeling questions and is potentially less techie. And then Brian, who is uh, very techie, has his, is, is very sort of straightforward, will take people to task, but has a very pointed sense of humor that I, I just love. And the two of them, I got them on a call. They'd never really interacted and they got on like a house on the fire. And I thought, okay, you two echo hosts. Um, the other thing is, if you are going to be the producer and the owner of the podcast, you have to make it very clear to all to everybody else that you decide. So, you know, we're talking here like there's no office politics or company issues because the podcast is external therefore it's visible and usually in companies that is well it's only vp and above and it's only these super duper bosses and they will quite often be able to pull rank and say i'm on the podcast even though they are not suited to be on a podcast they have no you know they're just it's just not their bag they're too busy they can't commit to the timeline you have to cancel it's just not feasible so i purposefully made it crystal clear to everybody i was working with that I'm in charge and I don't care that you're the CEO who is choosing a guest. I will say no. Love it. I just, I, I will, I will, I'll say, thank you. He's on the list and then never get back to it. <laughs> well, I've lost, I've lost the list. Where yeah, I don't know. Like, oh, I lost that email. Um, because I know how to make a good story, right? So again, it goes back to the trust. They trusted me to just get on with it. So they also trusted me to pick guests because yes, of course I had every SVP in the company wanting to be the co-host because it's a nice ego boost and well, I should do it. And, and they're very good at their jobs, but they're just potentially not suited to be a podcast host and that's okay. 
I really purposefully chose two people who are completely sort of not at all in the, in the realm of, of who I used to work with regularly, but they were the two best people for the job. And I think, again, if you are going to do a podcast, widen your horizons, go throughout the business to find those hidden gems that you might not work with or interact with usually to find the best ones for the job. Don't just go pick your marketing VP or don't just go pick um, people that in, that are sort of in your orbit. Go and find other people because you'll be surprised. There's some really, really great people who never thought they would do it, but who actually turns out are brilliant. I want to spend some more time digging into content and specifically okay. storytelling because it's something that you've gone back to time and time again since we've been talking. How do you structure your content and conversations? How do you make sure that every podcast has a story? And sometimes it's quite hard to tell story because everyone in B2B says, oh, tell stories, tell stories, mm -hmm. make it, you know, storytelling is important. And it is, I get it. But sometimes when you look at the narrative story arcs from a B2C point of view, those don't always translate yeah. when it comes to a B2B conversation. So talk to me about like how you think about storytelling in, in, in podcasting. And then also, how do you think about sort of timely content, stuff that's in the news that's happening right now that is quite probably searchable that will sort of get you people that are listening to the news that you'll, you'll get downloads from those people versus kind of evergreen content that just lives online forever and ever. And those, those topics sort of just live on forever in a day. How, how do you think about storytelling and evergreen content? I always tried to go quite specific on the topic because what, a lot, what I hear a lot of podcasts, B2B podcasts go is talk to me about AI. And then, so there's a great expert, whatever. And then it just, there's no, there's no, so what at the end, there's no action at the end. They've just talked about AI. And, and so you, you're not really sure where it's going, nor can you say, oh, well, that's interesting for me or that's interesting because you haven't really structured the conversation. So as much as I want a conversation to flow, I also want the conversation to have an arc. And at the end, so I would write briefs and I would write questions, you know, of whatever the, the guest was about and, and whatever they'd done. But I always made sure that I, if I read through the questions at the end, I always had an answer as to, the so what. So you mentioned Bob Wigley. So Bob Wigley wrote a book on, on how to parent teenagers in the digital era. So at the end, my so what was, what can parents do? You always have to sort of get a bit of an actionable takeaway from that because it was sort of related to cybersecurity, sort of, but it wasn't really. But it was interesting because everybody's, most people are parents. So they might be interested in that. So I really try and make sure that there's a thread, be it AI may or may not take over the world. It depends how we look at it through society or be it really pay attention to what your teenager does at three in the morning. Um, sort of distilling that message down, I think is really important in a natural conversational way, but don't broaden it so much in the podcast, in, in the sort of conversation to th that you don't know what you're talking about anymore. You're just having a chat that doesn't bring it to an end. The best podcasts are once you stop listening, first of all, that keep listening to the end. And second of all, that say, well, oh, that was interesting. If listeners just say that, then, then you've won because you've kept their attention because you had, an, especially for B2B, you had an action at the end. It's not just banter and ha ha, everybody's funny. And, it's, and then there's, you just, you, you've had a good time. That's B2C. 
for B2B, you still need to have some sort of takeaway, be it don't click on dodgy emails um, or um, pay attention to, to AI and maybe look at the importance of legislation within it. You know, those are the two things that I think. So themes important, threads important. And then your question about timeliness versus evergreen. So I did have a huge dilemma about this because I'm a news junkie. I'm a PR. That's my job. I have to know what's happening in the news. And I had a lovely idea of, let's react to the news. Problem is, it's very difficult. And, (laughs) And there's a lot of legal issues, especially if you work in cybersecurity. Can you comment on the latest hack? You probably can't. So don't because there's legal ramifications and et cetera, et cetera. The other thing is, can you cover it better than the news organizations? The answer is probably not, unless you are the BBC, in which case you'd listen to that. It's difficult to do. There are legal issues because what if the news is misreported and you've done, you've done a podcast talking about this and it turns out that's not the case. Um, and also, will your co-host be able to jump on a minute notice to do the podcast? We all have jobs, we're all busy, we're all running around. The answer is no. So I quickly dropped the idea, even though I would have loved to have done like a, a reacting to the news thing. My preference is always for evergreen content because you can plan it. It's so important. You can plan it. Um, because another thing with podcasts, you've got to be consistent. If it's every two weeks, it's every two weeks until the rest of your life. <laughs> um, you can't drop it. And so you can plan it. You can plan guests. You can plan stories. You can do your research properly and you can have an in-depth conversation. I think newsworthy stuff is very difficult to do. Now, yes, you're right. It might get some downloads. It might get some traction. But in three months when that news is gone, have you basically just lost that that opportunity for content to grow? I mean, some of the podcast episodes, you know, would grow over time or would get a big spike and then that it's back in the news three months later about whatever. And I would just re-promote it. Did that a lot. Um, we did, for example, um, a podcast with um, this awesome uh, Dutch lady who's like the head of cybercrime in the Netherlands. And, and she was talking about teenagers committing all these crazy cyber attacks. And every time there was a crazy cyber attack that turns out an 18 year old in a basement had done, I would just re-promote that podcast because <laughs> it talked about that. So I my preference is towards Evergreen for B2B purely because you can plan, you can go in depth. Um, and you can re-promote as necessary. Mm. I want to go back to your point on there being a story and a takeaway at the end that's actionable. Um, I think NPR call it the driveway test. You know, when you get home, you know, when you listen to a, a podcast in the car and you drive, pull into your driveway and you, you sit in your car for the next 20 minutes just to make sure that you finish this episode because you're so engrossed in the story. Yeah. NPR call that... <laughs> The driveway test does it does right. it pass the driveway test? Um, I think that's so important because yeah. there are so many episodes that I listen to. I'm like, I have to finish this. Mm. Like, I need to know how it how this ends. Yeah, and it sounds as though you've taken a similar sort of approach to your storytelling. Yeah, and that's all. You know, you can look at the data. You know, you can look at the drop off rates, etc. Um, I started doing a cold open because that to get people's attention, and then usually the cold open bit, the interesting bit, was sort of at the end, sort of keep people listening so there's a few tactics there um yes i mean i want people to listen and i want people to find it interesting to the end we did a lot we did we used to do sort of three well we still do three questions at the end that are a little bit more broad and what would you tell your younger self and all of that just to make it a little bit fun but at the end of what i want to talk about i want people to genuinely say 
Yeah, that was interesting. I'll go and look that up. I'll go and do that. I think that should be the aim of every podcast. Mm. If you've listened to it and you think, all right, well, that's just another conversation on 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 whatever, I'm not going to share it. I clicked off halfway through. I only listened for five minutes. You have to aim for the content to be interesting enough, not just because you work there, but because sent, if you sent it to your friends, they would listen. Mm. That is the aim, even in B2B. Even in B2B, and that is my gripe. I'm going to welcome to my TED Talk, but that is my gripe with B2B podcasts. There's got to be a way. Some some CMO out there is going to be brave enough at some point to use B2C techniques in B2B podcasting to make it as interesting as it can be because the majority of people are in work, are in corporations, and and have sort of a B2B life, if you will. They, they, they work, they have. And so they have interest. They will get it. But you have to get it, you, you have to present it in a B2C fashion for people to actually want to listen because we have competition from everywhere. Um, and I have yet to have on my downloadable podcasts like a B2B one that I think is really great. I'm not talking about a news one. I'm talking about a podcast from a company um, that I think, oh, it's quite interesting. I listen mm. to that. And I'm not saying I'm going to go buy the product. And I'm gonna, no, mm. honestly, if your audience finds it interesting that they listen to the end and at the end they think that was interesting that should be any podcaster's aim that was interesting and sometimes it's interesting because you learned about that person or sometimes it's interesting because you had a really in-depth conversation about something specific um but i want people to say that was interesting and so that i love when people say to me it's actually quite interesting it happened a lot it used to make me laugh when people come to me like i listened it's actually quite interesting yes yes I don't like the actually yeah. to the actually, but I will take it. I will take it because of the work that goes into it. It's not an accident. Yeah, I said no to a lot of people. It's not an accident. You have to be specific. You have to go after who you want. But equally, it goes back to the sort of corporate bravery of people letting you do it. And also, there's so many interesting people. You just got to find them and ask them the right questions. Mm. And that in the corporate world is difficult. It is difficult because there's time pressures and there's this and you can't do it then. And there's tech pressures. We couldn't get connect for 10 minutes and, mm. and they've, they've got this and they've got that. And we'll, what will legal say and all of this? And, but actually it boils down to a story. And as long as you're not libelous and you're not, you know, saying things you shouldn't say, which most people don't, you will be fine, but that has to be your aim. It, I think if you have that bar, the rest will follow. The lead generate. I got leads from it purely because it was interesting. And then I had people contact me going, can you put me in touch with a sales team? What? Amazing. Amazing. What? I made sure everybody in marketing knew that. Then <laughs> <laughs> to all. Yeah. Content is king. Right. I'm telling you. But that was my aim. It was, that was it. There was no other, I kept it very simple. Does it keep me interested as a human, not as a person who's a PR for this, just generally as a person who's got lots of stuff going on. If I told my sister, who is not in the business, would she, would she at least f find the theme relatively interesting? If she said, oh, that's quite interesting. Okay. You know, you got to, that's, the, for me, that's the baseline. And not interesting in, because I'm in manufacturing and I talk, no, 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 interesting in general. Would your partner think that's something that that theme would interest me? And then you can obviously narrow it down because if you take the theme of AI, well, AI is broad. 
what in AI? What about misinformation in AI, for example? Okay, that's a theme that people would need to know about that a company can leverage to do a podcast on, for example. You mentioned analytics and Mm -hmm. looking at sort of drop-off rates. Let's talk about that for a moment. Because when it comes to analytics, download numbers are the numbers that people obsess about. Rightly or wrongly, we can have a discussion about that. Were there any analytics or data that you looked at particularly to inform that you were going in the right direction or that you had some sort of success? Because quite often in B2B, the numbers aren't Joe Rogan numbers. They aren't Stephen Bartlett numbers. They aren't serial. And people think that that's, that's what success looks like. And it's like, okay, well, if you're not hitting 15 million downloads, or 10,000 downloads in the first few months, what are you doing? You you need to quit. Um, So sometimes it can be quite disheartening if you're not seeing the numbers that other people expect. And there's a whole conversation to be had about how we measure downloads and performance and all the rest of it. But when you were running the podcast, were there any particular metrics or data that you particularly paid attention to to let you know that you were going in the right direction? Um, Drop-off rates of of the episode length. Uh, to make sure that my content was interesting. Um, reach region, because my was global and I wanted it to be as global as possible. So not just that the Brits listen to it, but the South Africans listen to it, the Americans listen to it. Um, and yeah, we we looked at the number of downloads, but like you say, if you've got no money behind it, then you know a few hundred's a good number. A few thousand's a great number. My success is that I haven't worked at Mimecast for a year and we're still talking about it. Right, I'm doing a podcast about something I've not worked on for yet. So that's a good success. I think the other th- success is that if it's associated with your brands, we had customers talking about it. It was it used as a sell tactic. I used to write because you know salespeople can't read. All right, apparently. So, <laughs> sorry to all salespeople out there. We'll just edit to, that out. We can edit that out. You can keep it in. Doesn't bother me. <laughs> um, we can, you know, I used to have to write a little sales email. Uh, for each episode so that the sales guys could go and, and sort of leverage it. And we got leads from it. We got people interested in it. We got people saying, whenever I put one out, you know, I, my comments or my DMs on LinkedIn would be like super interesting. I said, thank you. From like CEOs and, and CISOs and all these people that we were trying to reach, that's success. And again, the benchmark should be, it shouldn't, ne- for me, it's not necessarily the metrics. It's, did I find that interesting? And are the people who are interacting with it sharing it and find it interesting. We were one of the most shared podcasts, which means it was interesting, you know, and people would come up and actually tell me, I mean, even within the business, people would recognize my co-host voice, Alice, and say, oh, you're the fishy business person internally because, you know, they didn't realize it was Alice from customer success. So I think looking at metrics in a, in a different way and changing the value of, of those metrics could be helpful for B2B brands. Because like I say, if it's interesting, the metrics will follow. And I think then it's about smartly integrating it into marketing campaigns, using it as an asset. If you're going to a trade show, why don't you do a few episodes from that trade show floor? Integrating it in your marketing activity, not having it be a standalone thing. That's what I started to do the more we got into it. Oh, we're going to the biggest show of the year. Well, let's go do a few live podcasts from there oh, we've got this great big campaign we're running. Well, hang on a minute. I've got a guest that came on the podcast that'll do your, your our webinar for free and we can link back to the podcast. All those types of things, I think, will help drive your metrics. But for me, 
you're right. The number of downloads, unless you have a crazy marketing budget, which most people wouldn't, because why would you give a stupid amount of money for something that's unproven, is not how you got to look at it. You got to look at the content. And yeah, of course, you can put a little bit of paid promotion behind it on LinkedIn when it went, where it makes sense, etc. I'm not saying don't do that, but I think the mistake to look at, oh, well, you've only got 150 downloads. Well, then what are you doing? Isn't isn't the way because if 150 downloads, if two of those are customers and you get you get two deals out of it, then you've won. Because. So it really is for B2B specifically, not the, I mean, for me, not the way to look at it because you're never going to get the millions of downloads that Stephen Botlitz gets, even if you had him on, even if you had him on the pod by some miracle because right. he doesn't do everybody else's pods, you, you, you wouldn't get that level. Hmm. He's a he's an anomaly. He's a marketing genius, but also he does B2C. Mm. So for me, that's, I never measured it like that. And because I was lucky because I had no budget, so I didn't have to <laughs> massively report. I would report back on the numbers, but I wasn't tied to a lead generation number. It was that, purely brand activity. Really. But that to me is the most fascinating thing from this story. The fact that you had no budget to promote it. So what that tells me is that everyone that shared it, all the downloads that you did get came from people that listened to it and said, you know, this is pretty good. I'm going to share it with my colleague or I'm going to give it to this person or, hey, listen to this. Like that's where, because you can have the best content in the world and you can have it sit there and no one look at it or do anything with it. You kind of need to put some promotion behind it and we can have a separate episode on. Yeah, of course you can. You can put a little bit of LinkedIn money behind it for sure. But if it's not interesting, People are not going to share it. And and I think that's what people have done with with your podcast, because inherently the content is valuable enough that they're willing to share with their friends, colleagues, coworkers, et cetera. And and that's really what what I loved about it was the shareability of it, Um, because it was so broad and maybe one, one, one wasn't that interesting. Okay, great. Well, then the other one was and people shared that one or... You know the relationship you built with the with the guests as well. That was inter- interesting, and them promoting it. Um, you know, which also helps obviously drive because they usually have a bigger name. But I think if the company gets behind it, with the understanding that this is an editorial exercise, you don't mess with the content, you don't mess with the creation of it. But if you want to give it a good shot, put some promotion behind it for sure. Maybe put some Spotify promotion behind it if you've got that money. I didn't if you've got because it's expensive or some LinkedIn promotion money behind it for sure. Um, but if you do, if you if your focus is purely make it as interesting as it can be for as many people as possible, be a bit smart with the title. You know, market it. Don't you know? Just focus on the. You know, it's it looks terrible. It doesn't sound great, but it's interesting. But it no, sounds like, nice, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> make it. You know, package it. But I genuinely think it goes back to those two things, to have the curiosity and to have the internal corporate bravery to do something genuinely good. That's my only aim. That was my only aim was to do something impactful um, that I could share with people who weren't within my company, who weren't in the sector and who would think, oh, I learned something from that really interesting person. Fascinating. That feels like a good place to end. Laura, thank you so much for doing this. I've so thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you. And I'm so sorry for the tech blips earlier. We figured it out. We did. We got there (laughs) in the end. (laughs) Always have backups. Pro tip number one, always have a backup. 
Brilliant. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. This is Influence is a production of Bridge Growth, the B2B podcasting agency for enterprise brands. I could not produce this show without our crack staff here at Bridge. Christoph Bwaszczek is our head of production. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to This is Influence.